0: from hong kong chicago and the city of stoke-on-trent this is the classic lenses podcast hello oh you f-ed that up i did i did
1: <laughs> <laughs> you almost got away with it too <laughs> i was hoping nobody <laughs> notice that well there you go no, we noticed just keep going <laughs> <Dasvidanya>. <laughs> yes
0: oh, my name is simon we've been hacked um my name is simon <laughs> forster and we've been no. And I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Hello. And we have a guest with us this week. Uh, and I'm going to hand over to Johnny, because Johnny's really good at introductions. So. Uh, oh,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm great at introductions.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I don't seem to be able to string a sentence together, so that's another good reason to hand it over to my friend in Chicago. All
1: right, well, we are, we are joined by none other than uh, Vlad Kern, who has been with us before, and I think it's a safe bet to say that uh, the past visit is... Was it one or was it two? It's just one? Yeah, just, just one. one episode. Wow, that's amazing. Well, uh, yeah, early, early on, and, and I know that for a lot of folks, it's one of their favorite episodes and one of the most entertaining episodes um, because Vlad has a lot of amazing stories to tell us And um, you're not going to hear him anywhere else (laughs) because this man knows things, this man knows things. And we're going to, we're going to drag it all out of him today. (laughs) Okay. Vlad's rolling his eyes. So without further ado, Vlad, I'm going to go ahead and uh, make it worse here and, and call you one of the, what shall we say? Top collectors of, Soviet, former Soviet, no gear in the Chicago area.
2: But, How's that? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> hey guys, good to see you. But where's my uh, Soviet anthem intro and the uh, scantily clad man and woman running out with hammers and sickles? With, <laughs> we'll, trade we'll, with uh, bacon fat. We'll be adding them in post. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't
1: know I'll dub that over at the beginning.
2: <laughs> All right, that's good. Good to All see right. you guys again.
1: Yeah, you, you too. It's, it's you. weird. Yeah, it's crazy because, Vlad, we're, I don't know, I'm, what, maybe 40 minutes from you and I haven't seen you for over
2: a year probably at this point because, you know. I know, the quarantine stuff. I've mean, am been mailing yeah. you stuff, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've
1: mailed me things in the meantime. It's crazy.
2: Yeah, it's it's been crazy, you know. but <laughs> Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's uh, when you're cooped up and all you can do is buy cameras, so.
1: That's right. That's right. So you're joining us from what do you? I've I've always called it Vlad's man, man cave, but you might. Do you have a Do you have a term for your area right there that you? It's.
2: I mean, I guess it's my home museum, yeah, or uh, the USSR photo official museum, yeah.
1: I'm, and it, it it's a beautiful thing. So those of you who have seen the uh, photo that Simon posted, um, it, it's even it's even better than it looks in the photo in person because it's it's much larger than it looks um and there are display cases loaded from floor to ceiling with uh a a lot it's every basically every everything essentially right
2: Uh, production stuff or more than one of everything
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and i know that's even one of our topics is um you know, it's always good to get more than one of something, right? If you find one, you might as well get another.
2: And yeah, I mean, I, I think I started going having a kind of parallel uh, duplicates collection at this point because uh, this was my, my primary way of getting more rare cameras. I mean, you just can't find them. I mean, mostly you have collectors having them, and the only way to get them is to offer them something in return. Hmm. So, I mean, if you've been collecting for a very long time, uh i mean i don't know if i've been collecting for about 16 years or 15 years i don't know if it's very long time by somebody's standards but uh in this time you kind of get one of every regular camera and all you got left is all these uncommon things yeah and those are usually in other collectors though it's been also been collecting uh for a long time and they also basically have this arsenal of duplicates yeah so i mean I would have to say about 70% of my acquisitions are probably lately done through trades. I mean, mm. wow. is I mean it, always, um, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, it, it, so it sounds like, is it getting harder to find things? I mean, as more time goes by, obviously, you know, but Absolutely, more, man. yeah,
2: and more expensive too. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So something that you might've found 15 years ago is probably harder to get in a lot more expensive now, I would think.
2: I, no, uh, the the prices for Soviet rare stuff skyrocketed like no tomorrow. I mean, mm. this kind of brings it to this whole discussion we had on vintage camera collectors about this Leica Leica collectors uh, <laughs> yeah. making fun of Soviet stuff. And to be honest, uh, I really take advantage advantage of it because I mean, there have been numerous cases when I talk to a Leica collector and they're like mentioned soviet cameras they just look down at me i was like oh this soviet crap nobody wants it and he shows he's showing me his like like a one or like a two you know there's like what are these like three four hundred dollars cameras uh and i'm like oh yeah it's nice but what is this thing and he he has this uh like a soviet fed and 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 i'm looking at it and i see that's a really rare one he's oh it's just like soviet garbage somebody just gave it to me you know and i don't need it and like you want to buy it i'm I'm looking at it, and uh, so he's like, "How much you want for it?" He's like, "I'll give it to you for like 150, 180 bucks." You know, so I take this thing, and and guess what? The whatever I buy from them, I mean, this thing was the most expensive thing in his Leica collection because I ended up buying a 3,500 Soviet rare Fed oh for, from this guy. You know, when when he's boasting about three, four hundred dollar Leicas of the yeah. same form factor. So, I mean, and a lot of people just don't know how to spot these, too. I mean, it's, it's kind of an advantage of also living in the United States because Soviet cameras are considered trash. I found some ridiculous stuff. Uh, like, people list there's, – there's these plastic cameras that cost upwards to, up to $1,000. Some of these rare soviet Belarusian uh, made ca- cameras, like Elicon 1. Um that camera is usually around for about 350 bucks. People list them on eBay locally here, like United States shipping only for fifteen dollars, like saying like some solid uh, plastic point and shoot, you know. You no, know, snap them <laughs> up and then somebody wants to trade. You so what? now you've
1: got now you've got something to trade, yeah.
2: Exactly. You know, so I mean you always on the lookout for any uncommon cameras, even if I have them. I mean, it's wow. like it's it's good to have an arsenal.
1: Yeah. So is it, <laughs> are the old feds, the old Leica copies in particular it sounds like those are probably i would just think cuz they're you know they're they're going to be some of the oldest or at least some of the oldest of that style anyway are those are there is it that there are a lot of really rare prototypes and lots of them or what makes them so unique
2: uh, well anything 1934 which is like the first year of production uh, yeah. those are the fed 1a classified by jean-louis prinsell book those are extremely expensive i've seen them sold some of the well the let's say the three digit numbers like low three digit numbers around like number two hundred three hundred they are probably about about thirty to forty thousand dollars oh my god um and and uh s- s- a little bit later ones like in uh early four digit numbers and we're talking about like three thousand, four thousand. I mean, prices really went up on these lately. I mean, you 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 could buy those under a thousand uh, when I just started collecting. Mm. Um, I actually, you don't know how many I just traded for something else because I just could buy another one for cheap. But now it's mm, <laughs> really regretting some of these decisions.
3: Wow, wow! Uh, and it,
1: and it, and so it's more that they're early, not so much that they're uh, unique kind of prototypes or variations, right. or is that yeah? Okay
2: the early fed ones i mean those are the ones that like at the beginning of commune they actually had like kids i mean kids or not uh, like early t- teenagers really kind of assembling them mm. with some of the adult help it was kind of like a work and study program uh, in the fed commune in kharkov ukraine so those are really valuable and by the way there's a there's been a topic of conversation like that I've, I've had I want to address it on the air uh, there's uh, somebody was really uh, claiming that the pre pre-war fed cameras they're not made by feds when once they became factory uh like closer to the, the beginning of the first world war so like 1939 or 19, 1940. Uh, I, I want to say that those kids were still working there along with more uh, professional, um, I, I guess, hired workers uh, alongside, and they were the experts on, on assembly. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, I guess, discord regarding this lately. That's something <laughs> I just wanted to address. Sorry, but it might be a little bit out of context. But, no, uh, no, 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 The I mean... person who would listen to, to <laughs> this would know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> uh, Because um, some of these... Um uh, yeah, I mean, anything pre-war and Feds are, I mean, the more, the later they are, obviously the price goes down exponentially, but some of the right. earlier three-digit numbers are just ridiculously expensive. Wow. 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 Amazing. Yeah. That's, and those are, I mean,
1: they're, I don't know those, I think those old Feds have a kind of a beauty to them that really is unique to the Feds also. I mean, they, you know what I mean? They, they, I don't know if it's the materials or what it is, but they, uh, they just they do have a different sort of patina
2: and look to them. I think the very early ones, yeah, they're zinc plated, and the okay. very, very, and the very, very early ones are actually painted black. Those oh, wow. are ridiculously expensive. Those are the ones I'm talking wow. about. They're like over thirty, thirty grand. Wow. Uh, and uh, the they also had them in the 1932. They had the copies of the the Leica one, not Leica two, but the Leica one. Those, I mean, I don't think I've seen one of those uh, anywhere in museums. I don't know if they, some anybody has those. I mean, in terms of collectors, yeah. and maybe they just got destroyed. But uh, those are the most rare uh, fads, and I, I, I can't even imagine how if one of those surfaces, how what will the price be on those? I mean, we're talking about over a hundred thousand. Wow! <laughs> and that's a Leica one copy, not the Leica two. So there would be a one without the range rangefinder.
1: Yeah, right. So were were those, I mean, this is I should probably know this right offhand, but were those built in any sort of collaboration
2: with Leica? Were they straight up copies? Were they licensed? What was the <clears> There's <throat> a number of theories going on around this? Uh there's a fun legend that I don't know if it's true as one was and I think there was even, like, in one of the uh, move Soviet movies that uh, the German delegation visited the Fed factory back in uh early 1930s, probably 1930 or something like that. Uh, I think just right after Leica came out. And they showed them uh, the, the camera. They, sh- they showed off the new Leica mm. camera. And at the time, the the, the commune, the children in commune, they actually had a, had a workshop, and they were making uh, electric drills. So, uh, and... While they were doing the tour, one of the one of the people doing the tour asked if they could play with the camera, if they can see it and leave it with somebody and while they're showing them so they can see how this technology works. So they so one of the German visitors left the camera and while they were touring the factory, they took it apart, <laughs> basically got all the schematics out of them and put them back together and gave it back to them. And then they basically copied it. That's one theory. I also heard a the theory that it was actually with the help of of uh lights uh, even like to the point of almost licensing it mm-hmm. but uh I haven't seen any proof but it was also one of the stories going around so there's no, I mean the exact origins uh would probably be remain unknown yeah uh the of course I have I have, I managed to find a book uh on the original book that's like really rare unfed history of the of the of the factory and going back to nineteen thirties. And of course there was a lot of Soviet propaganda and according to the book, the camera was a completely original development, <laughs> kinda of loosely based on the like. Yeah. So I mean, because in Soviet Union will not you will not get a better answer than that. I mean the rest is just conjecture. <laughs> sure. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a lot. It's a very rich history of uh, this factory. I mean, with the evacuation during the war. I mean, they were making cameras up to, during the war too, up to September, and then they had then with the Germans basically advancing to Kharkov, they had to abandon. They put everything on on the um, on the trains and they moved the whole factory to Burt's. to the birds. But they were not making cameras then; they were just making some kind of, um, I think uh, uh, it was a- aero, uh, aerial parts, like like uh, fuel pumps for some airplanes or something like that, until the end of the war. But they did have parts with them, and then they made a whole bunch of cameras that are also very valuable because supposedly they were made only in that city of Bersk. They're very yeah. thought after, and they also go for—I'll uh, have to say—over a thousand dollars if you find one. Wow. So, are,
1: are there, um, so moving a, a forward in time a little bit, let's say like post-war, um, you know, the industries, it seems like really picked up in the in the 50s, right? And there was a lot more production of um, cameras and camera equipment, in, including for the, call it the consumer market, or however you want to say that, right? Um, for For, you know, for the general public to be
2: able to purchase and so forth well i i there's two schools on this again uh one school is yeah according to all the soviet publications the public needed the cameras uh to because they needed to photograph uh the soviet life and they needed to for the foreigners to see how good they have it and so on Mm. uh and uh with the soviet public needed cameras but in reality the manufacturer was they were making cameras to sell to the west mm-hmm. the soviet union was in dire need of foreign currency so they were basically uh <clears throat> making cameras so they can export them I mean, so it was they, one of the major exports
1: where, where where what were the largest export markets i mean i would think europe obviously because it's right there but were there other large export markets
2: at yeah, that time I, right so there was a Central hub, one of the central hubs of export, was the TOE Technical Optical Equipment in London, UK. So TOE was basically some, by a few legends, was actually a KGB front, <laughs> but uh, it was a big company in London. Uh, there was uh, working with um, export entity machine machine prebor machine torg It's the Machine export uh, device uh, international trade company something. Like. It's a, it's a big abbreviation of yeah. uh, words. So they would uh, that entity would work to export the cameras to T O E London. They had their own technicians because they, they didn't trust the Soviet quality. So they had their own technicians, basically almost refurbishing the cameras right there in uh, London, and then selling them across Europe and United States. So. There's, this was one of the major avenues of export was through TOE London, and uh, but there was also a lot of the stuff was going to Latin America. Uh, lots of stuff was going to Cuba since uh, USSR and Cuba were huge uh, friends. I mean, I mean, think about uh, think about missile crisis and all the stuff. I mean, they were basically pay uh, Cuba in goods and uh, in food. I mean, it was everything was all the food was instead of going to sitting in Soviet Union, people were hungry. It would go to Cuba uh, Mm. because the Cuba was helping out in the cold war. Yeah.
3: Uh,
2: But um, a lot of it ended up in Panama. So this is like one of the research topics that I started really pursuing the export cameras uh, because it's absolutely fascinating how, all this kind of spidered out outside of Soviet Union and how it got distributed. Uh, and, uh, you know, that directly the United States could not import anything right. uh, from USSR, I mean, because of Cold War, the embargo, and so on. So what happened was, um, in, in specifically in the case with the United States, uh, there was this company called Calamar uh, Inc. Uh, so that was uh, established in 1952. I had a pleasure of meeting the the president, the, the well, he is the son of the original owner. Wow! And uh, his brother, who was the, I believe the the VP of sales, and actually had a lengthy conversation with both of them. So, it kind of helped me track down how this whole distribution of Soviet goods happened here, Soviet wow. photographic wow. goods. So the most of the stuff was uh, uh, bought up by this uh, company called International Sears Company in Panama in Cologne, Panama, it was a free trade zone. So they could actually trade with Soviet Union. So those companies had direct uh, trade agreements with uh, Lomo and uh, KMZ factories in Russia. And they were exporting uh, Zenits to Panama. And uh, the, the uh, so Bob Lipsitz, who was the owner and the founder of Kalamar, uh, actually uh, reached out directly to Panamanians uh, to the international series and uh, placed an order for uh, Zeniths um, that they had. Because, I mean, for the, for the time, the price on Zeniths compared to all the other Japanese cameras and everything sold here was literally pennies. Mm. I and mean, you get a metal and leather camera, you know, it wasn't like a box or anything like that. It was like a nice quality camera in comparison uh, to what you get for like, uh, I don't know, $30, $40, $60, and that depends on the time they were sold. Um, you get a zenith for like $60. It was a prof- almost professional SLR with interchangeable lenses. So, And they bought them for cheap from Panama, and they made their own labels uh, that said Calamar on them. And yeah. you'll probably uh, have seen a lot of these in the U.S. market. I've seen a
1: lot of Calamars. Yeah, I did not yeah. know that they I didn't know that that – the um, I guess the export route was that well established through them. That's really interesting,
2: right? So Kalamar was the big. There was literally the sole distributor of Soviet cameras in the United States in in the seventies. So they they basically made their own labels. They just glued these Kalamar badges uh, on on the Zenit B, Zenit E, and Zenit EMS, uh, and and then uh, they distributed to also to Ritz Camera, the Quanteray, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, and the Quantaray, they would even make the badges for them, too. The Quantaray sold those as Delta One cameras. Those are actually pretty scarce to find right now. I don't know why, but there is a catalog. They were selling it for, like, $59 with a, the Zenith E under Delta One name with a Helios 44. This is really good price for a camera those days. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you guys, for some reason, Americans are crazy about Helioses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, some I of mean, us are. <laughs> right i mean i I think they were as crazy about them back then because I mean they were yeah. really, really popular cameras they were they're selling a lot of these I mean you can't wow. open ebay without seeing Colomar for sale right now uh also the cambridge um camera i think is still around uh yeah. they 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 also bought all these cameras from cam- and Kaomar put uh Cambron tag on those right you might have seen those as well, so there's a number of um Number of uh resellers that were so- selling Zeniths here in, in the United States, and most of them basically went through Calamar. Later, Calamar started buying up from Toe London, and they actually had uh custom orders. So, it was, you, you can also see uh the Calamars with the uh, silk screen logos instead of the badges glued right. on, yep. those were already special orders. Well, I'm, i the, the guys uh, at Calamar I don't remember anymore, it's been in the 70s, but. Uh, the best guess is it was bought through TOE London with a special order from KMZ because they would actually put labels there. They would put the markings there. Instead of Zenith where they would get blank cameras and, like, silkscreen it. So, I mean, you will see the same thing in UK. I mean, TOE would sell this directly to public as well. I mean, you would see, like, quite a few, like, Zenith EM, like, like, also, like, little stickers and uh, rebranded stuff, like Cosmorex SE, uh, I mean, there's all. There are. I don't know. I have two shelves worth of uh, different Zenit E and Zenit B variations for different markets. Wow. I think there was Japan. There was Japan, Canada, United States, uh, um, Germany. Germany had a big distributor too, oh. Uh Sweden had Atlantic. I believe they were distributing, but mostly, it may, maybe they're done. But mostly it was Lubitel's, okay. Lubitel's, and uh, uh, this manas, Smanas six, smana eight, cosmic, cosmic thirty five. I'm sure you've seen those around too. Yeah, right. Um, so,
1: is there? I, I've thought about this before. It's funny you mentioned Cuba because you know they're they're known for also having um all these vintage cars down there. Like classic right. American vintage car. So I've always wondered, okay, is there like some massive stash of amazing Soviet gear down in Cuba as well?
2: <laughs> you know what? I am sure of it, but because like I don't, we don't really have access to Cuba still. Right. So, right, exactly. I mean, at some point I have a feeling that when the relations normalize between the United States and Cuba, uh, that we will see some really cool stuff going yeah. out of there.
1: I was going to say, are you already thinking about a trip to Cuba at some point?
2: <laughs> I can't say any year. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, uh, at some point, obviously, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there will be some stuff. I mean, I think it's more, I, I'm not sure how, I think it's more of a common stuff because I've seen what's, what's been exported to uh, like South America and Central America. Mm-hmm. there's some actually unique models there too oh wow, with uh, its own naming that you can find anywhere else uh actually in Zenit name has been so popular in in South America it was like like Samsung right now here. Zenit was like that in the seventies and eighties in uh Peru and uh Brazil uh they started making um they would get all the Chinese point and shoots like just like you know cheap ones. And they'll put Zenit names on them because they were just selling so much better. <laughs> People knew the name. So, yeah, one of the That's things amazing. that I've spent, I would say, last four months looking for somebody in Peru to try to get me these point and shoots. I mean, it's been uh, one of those uh, quests of mine. And I almost got somebody and it kind of fell through last minute. But I've seen about seven or eight different point and shoots models with the Zenit branding <laughs> that are Chinese made. Wow. Oh, that's crazy! Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, I collect anything that has like fake, even like fake Russian cameras, <laughs> and <laughs> anything and with Cyrillic really writing. I mean, people were like making fun of me the last few weeks because I st- I bought a couple of Bulgarian cameras.
3: Wow!
2: And the reason I bought them because first of all, that was the o- that, that was the only camera Bulgaria ever made. It was Edelweiss uh, <sighs> camera. It was like a carbolite or bakelite. So I don't know if that's carbolite or bakelite. These two, two things are actually different. Carbolite was the Soviet version of bakelite. Huh. Uh, the chemical compound was a bit different, uh, but uh, it looks like um, like one of those Czech plastic six by six cameras. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. And Pioneer, one of those. Uh, but there, this was the only camera ever manufactured in Bulgaria. Plus, a, a Bulgarian language uses Cyrillic font. In the right. Language. Okay. So, so it kind of crosses crosses over. Yeah. Yeah. I get anything with Cyrillic font on it. So that's <laughs> my, my but it was really cool. I mean, I've only seen three of those cameras uh, ever wow. for sale, and I bought two of them. The first <laughs> time was so expensive that I just decided to skip it. But now I, I ended up buying two in the same day, so it was kind of interesting. Two different ones. One is two black.
1: different ones randomly that you found in the same day.
2: That's yeah. Crazy. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Uh, somebody just listed two of them, two different sellers, and the same day. One had the black black front, another one had the white front. It's like a reverse, uh, like a negative logo. So I'm like, you snapped them up, and they were like fourth of the price that I've seen the other ones uh, go for. I think the first one was around 400 bucks. I'm like, there's no way. (laughs) That that is crazy. But yeah, it's a little fun camera, and it seemed kind of cool, just that the only one that was ever made there. So. It was a wow. big surprise for a lot of people that actually Bulgaria made cameras. Yeah.
1: yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that at all. That's that's really funny. I mean, it's 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 odd. It seems like there are um, other places that made one-offs like that. I didn't know Bulgaria did, but yeah, know other places made very small numbers of cameras, different models or whatever.
2: I spotted it on the, on this cameras down on their website. Um, uh, it does. I honestly. I can't remember the collector's names, but it's a really good website with a like well a big variety of cameras that in, in in that person's collection, and this was just kind of on it, and, you know. I'm like whoa, well, I'm like whoa, Bulgarian. <laughs> so just to say I mean, Bulgaria was almost USSR. I mean, it was yeah. so close, and um, probably one of the most influenced by ussr countries so were then. they
1: were they building those primarily for export as well Was it the same model or no, do you think they were
2: domestic i've never seen these sold outside of bulgaria i bought them both from bulgaria oh so. wow and i don't think they made a lot of them either so this was like a small batch huh Looks like so no it's there's a lot of um, cool stuff coming out from the eastern Bloc.
1: <laughs> yeah so you know I, I mean obviously it seems like uh you know, or what early nineties into two thousands, there were probably, a, there was a, like a sudden rush of stuff coming out. Right. Um, oh,
0: absolutely.
1: It, did that happen kind of all at once and then it's trickled off or are things still coming out that are
2: unusual um, or things still coming out? I mean, it probably started with the nineties, but people start to get laid off or they, or they still had jobs, but weren't getting paid. Mm. And, um, I mean, a lot of stuff that happened. I don't know. I that I've heard like stories like they would stuff from stuffs from the museums, like they would they would go to like a factory museum. I don't want to name which one. Let's put it this way. Yeah. And uh, they would have all these prototypes there, like it's part of the museum. And then they would put a regular camera in there, take the prototype out. <laughs> Nobody sees a difference. Two screws difference, you know. Wow. Uh, sell the prototype or I mean, they, they're basically trying to feed themselves. I mean, it's like, yeah, the people did not have money. The people are trying to survive. And so th- this is when the 90s uh, whole faking industry started in in, in in USSR. I mean, they started making, there's this camera, there's just like unbelievable workma- workmanship, uh, like fed sport. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. It's like a lake of it uh, with this on the Fed uh, winder. Uh, with like a oh, wow. crazy military engraving. I mean, it's it's the top notch quality, or like a Zorki seventy five. It's like one of those big uh, seventy five frame, like you know, like like a reporter, I think. Those uh, okay. So it's like similar to that one, and it was all handmade out of re- re- combination of different parts, and you couldn't tell Jeez. it's not factory made. And a lot of them were made in factory because people wouldn't, were not get paid; they weren't yeah. doing anything, sitting at works, so and they're like, well, "Let's just use this equipment that we have to make fakes." Amazing. I mean. I bought, at some point, I bought some photocore cameras. Those are those uh, Bellows cameras, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, so from Ukraine, I actually had the guy who worked at the Fed factory in the early 2000s using their equipment to refurbish these cameras. So this is, this is where the Lomo photocore cameras refurbished at the Fed factory. And they would put, like, a crazy skins on them. They would, like, skin one of these uh, Lenin, uh books, you know, that had those, uh, like... Um, embossed uh, Lenin portrait oh, yeah. or sure. embossed those Soviet coat of arms, uh different color leather, you know, and then they would and they would just basically reskin this photo course. Just look they were beautiful. Uh, I mean, I I still lo- like this kind of cameras. I mean, they just like they just for fun. I have a separate shelf for fakes, uh, gold plated <laughs> stuff, and like you know, just this different like fake anniversary cameras. They're they're a lot. They're just a lot of fun, and I always buy them when they're not that expensive. And but you can see how much workmanship went into that, and yeah. and they would still sell them for a very affordable price here, and people still buy them, and people still buy painted cameras. I mean, you see this stuff on eBay. I mean, they when I asked the seller, why are you, sell, why are you painting these cameras? I mean, they're, the, the original versions, they are much more valuable. I and mean, as a collector, I kind of didn't want to see that. Really? And he's like, you know what? They sell four times more when they're painting than Amazing. they're not.
1: <laughs>
2: people just pull the trigger. I mean, they see like a red Zorky, you know, like, oh, I have to have it. Right. So, or like reskin. So it's it's right. all business. And I mean, like, you know, again, collectors don't like it, but... Uh, it's a it's a thing for users i mean i guess because they just like the camera to look nice you know they pimp it yeah up. <laughs> sure <laughs> it makes sense i mean i actually i think some
1: of those uh is it the uh uh some of those cameras uh the zorkis that look like they're in like traditional ukrainian designs and motifs i actually oh, yeah. think they're beautiful <laughs>
2: There's yeah, there's a few accounts on Etsy actually that the quality on the worksmanship is amazing. I mean, the lot of detail. I've seen some coarse ones. I mean, the one that was I think posted recently in one of those Soviet groups, the the gel, the blue and white one, it was very coarse. But there's some very finely. I mean, you can tell persons like like an ex- professional artist. It looks uh, like this kind of these kind of patterns we usually put like on uh, China in uh Soviet yeah. Union, you know right right. fine china there would be like there was like a there was like a the blue and white gel the chaklama the which is like a red and black and uh, all these patterns and uh so when applied to cameras professionally they look amazing uh, and and i i'm sure there's market for it i mean i mean as long as i use some kind of common cameras like uh, i don't mind them painting on Zenith E's or Zorky 4's. I mean, those, those things I think do have a place on yeah. the, the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think some of them are, they they look really cool that way.
1: So um, did you ever, uh, uh, for the longest time, there was a woman in Chicago on Craigslist who had, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Cause you're laughing.
2: She's still selling it. She's still... She's still trying to sell that camera. It's still on Craigslist and it's still on Etsy <laughs> for $1,500. <laughs> I think at one point in in, in time, maybe seven years ago, uh, some collector was sell- selling his uh, fakes collection, and I probably bought like fifteen of them for like seventy five bucks, seventy five bucks a pop. Wow. And one of them was actually the same camera that she's trying to sell,
1: <laughs>
2: and she still convinced it's a real thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a like a personal gift from Stalin or something. Right? Yeah,
2: it's called like Stalinets. It's basically like. <laughs> It's like the Stalin's camera, or whatever. And but it's she's uh, it's a free country. If she wants to sell it for five years, she can.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Someday
2: somebody will buy it. Maybe. <laughs> you know. I mean, there's there's That's, a lot of them on eBay too. So Yeah.
1: So uh, that kind of feeds into another question I have for you that I I was actually chatting about this with uh, Robbie Jameson last night. Um. So the thinking about like the. Uh, let's say like the mid, you know, mid to late fifties up through the sixties, seventies. Um, I mean, photography in the West as well was one of the, I would say top things people spent their disposable income on. Um, I mean, cameras were, um, you know, the, they're, they were relatively expensive in relation to people's salary, right? But everybody mm-hmm. wanted a camera, either a still and or movie camera to make home movies. And that's what people did. I mean, even when I was a kid, you know, we'd pull out the movie projector, we'd pull out the slide projector and look at family photos. I mean, which I feel like is something that doesn't really go on the same way anymore. But it was, it was like a primary... Uh, recreation activity for people. I feel like back in the day, even in the, you know, in in the U S but thinking about like, you know, the Soviet market, it it, it, was there an element of that as well, where there were probably limited types of consumer goods. Someone could even buy were cameras. One of those things that were also very popular. And what was, let's call it like the um, you know, the tradition of like say vernacular photography family photography where people would just you know take family photos and stuff was that a, was that a primary sort of thing that people did was it very popular i mean how accessible were cameras to people you know say your average soviet citizen in relation to their salary and you know how common was it just for people to to do photography and have cameras
2: um to be honest i don't think it was that much different than it was here in u.s uh mm. i mean i've as, as as far as I remember back to 1980s when I was a kid, I mean, we all, I mean, everybody I know was carrying cameras, taking pictures and slides. And we had like tons of slides that we brought with us. I mean, we had a projector and we also sit down sometimes and look at the slide <laughs> and uh, look at the, the um the die films. I don't know what they in English. It's like the the roll film that yeah, the mm-hmm. color one, but had like stories on them, like kids' stories.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, like the the film strip projector. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah.
2: But that was really really cool. I mean, like a lot of families had that. So because I mean the TV was just one channel, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and,
2: and and it would end at nine p.m. or something, you know. Wow. Uh. uh it, and I mean, it was no, it wasn't like one channel, but it was it was pretty limited. It was like a couple channels um, back in the eighties. Uh, so we would bring, like, turn down the lights and put the put the projector on and watch those film strips and watch the uh, watch the slides that um, from like our previous vacations and the family and um, I mean there was quite a few uh, photo studios. People were very hands on with cameras too. I mean, there's quite a few cameras were really affordable. I mean, there's the Semnas were probably number one camera that you would see and like that people started with the this mana one two like like one two three four by both factories like Gomes and bilomo mmz actually at a time uh then this mana 8m i mean those were like fraction those were like almost cost as much as toys back then so like 15 rubles when the average salary was around 100 like oh wow okay. uh, so it wasn't that bad i mean but when you want to go into more professional that would people would get like a Zenit E or a Zorky's. Yeah. And those were the metal cameras that were a bit more expensive. I mean, some of them like Start would cost you like three monthly salaries, stuff like that, you wow. know. Uh, but, uh, and and also you could not always buy them. I mean, some of these cameras, like Start, you could buy. I mean, Start would like, was so expensive that it was sitting on the shelves. But stuff like Zenit E's. And bees a lot of cases you would have to stand in line to get one of those or you have to know somebody who would sell you one that's uh, uh just kind of like hook you up with one because I mean even though it was maybe like I don't remember it was like a month monthly salary even maybe two monthly salaries wow. you would still have be in line to get them same thing with cars man like you could not just go and buy a car even you had money people yeah. wait months years to get one because wow. the allocation was very scarce I mean stuff like that Zenith E was probably considered uh, like the like the status symbol. Wow. <laughs> in USSR. Yeah. And then the Zorkies, like any kind of like metal and leather rat cameras were like uh, you know, if you're in a college and you have one on your neck, you would be like a cool guy. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: you know, you, you either have a guitar on your shoulder or, or a camera. Or a camera. <laughs> if you have both, man, that's it. <laughs> you were set. <laughs> yeah, you're set for life. Big
1: man on campus,
2: <laughs> yeah, and you were the coolest guy, and everybody wants to hang out with you, so uh, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of film. Uh, the film was uh, Svema and it looked like it was made out of wood. Um, because <laughs> yeah. the early film, it was like it was. I knew a photographer that came over and he was just reminiscing about like how he was shooting uh, film professionally, and he's like, I he's like. I I got me. Uh, he's like I bought a Praktica, a German Praktica camera, and uh, I like their lenses better than Helios. Because I mean, to be honest, in USSR, if anything foreign or imported, were just like the the pinnacle of everything. Because I mean, the the Soviet production was just crap. I mean, this was, was like the common opinion. But in reality, yeah. you, actually, if if you look back now, it's not so. I mean, some of the Soviet stuff was like really good. Yeah. Um, uh, like, like look at an Iskra camera, so he's he's like, I so I had this practica and I tried to use Soviet Savema film on it, and it was filed, it would file down the sprockets because it, they were <laughs> um, they were plastic in pl- practica. So it's wow. like basically, after like a, a month's worth of photo shoots, I mean, it, he did the, he, the body was gone because it just couldn't handle Soviet <laughs> film, it was so wow. thick. <laughs> <laughs> So he ended up just getting a zinit that has metal sprockets on them, uh, metal gears. Is it sprocket gears? I and mean, right, sprockets are on the film. Yeah, gears yeah. Yeah, film gear, yeah, sure. I know what yeah, you mean, gears. yeah. So 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 they will get he had to use the zinit body with uh, German optics. I mean they were so that wow. that was his ultimate combination. But yeah, the uh, it, it was coarse. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a built like tank you know like it's like a normal soviet yeah
1: right it, just like you would expect right yeah <laughs> so, so there are a few specific cameras and i'm just looking through the list here that we were discussing earlier but um kind of along the same lines here um, just things that were su- surprising to to find out one of which is the polaroid cameras
2: that were made in uh, was it still the Soviet Union then, or was it afterwards? It was right on the edge, actually. It was started right at the time the Soviet Union was during the perestroika years with Gorbachev. Okay. Uh, early 90s, uh, very early 90s. So, and uh, what happened was Polaroid uh, decided they wanted cheap labor. Yeah. So they built, um, I guess it was an affiliate company, affiliate factory in um, near Moscow called Svetozor. So that Svetozor was actually uh, manufacturing two camera models. The, so it, there, there was a 636 uh, and a 635CL Polaroids. Uh, and the 635CL is really easy to spot if it was a Soviet one because it had, instead of the UK version, they had like a tricolor stripe going down the body. Mm. That one had just two red ones. Uh and those, if you open the film compartment on the 636, they both say, like, uh, the 635 says made in USSR still. Wow. And the and, the, and even on the back, too, it says, like, assembled in Russia. And the 636 also had the same thing in, in the body, but it was say made in Russia already, the 636. It was a later camera. Uh, what's more interesting is most of the cameras on the market that are 636 Polaroids, they actually all have the electronics manufactured in Russia. Oh, really? Yeah, so they actually they made them, they were in the main motherboard manufacturer for Polaroid camera, cameras, oh, wow. like in, in those in the 600 film series. Oh my gosh. Didn't so I if you that. open up one of those 636s, uh, I mean, there's still a bunch of them still made in UK, but uh overwhelming majority were actually manufactured in the Russian facility. Those was, was pretty interesting. I mean, those are pretty collectible, they cost a lot more than the regular UK versions. Huh if you if you ever find them. They're fairly common in, in former Soviet Union republics, but um if you want to buy one on eBay it'll probably cost you around hundred bucks. Wow. in comparison to five <laughs> for UK version.
1: You're right. And then another one on the list is the mystery of the TSVVS.
2: Oh yeah. That's the uh the, the enigma of the Soviet camera collecting the TSAVS camera is basically like a hybrid. And I'm sure like a lot of people have seen it around it's a hybrid between a fed and a Kiev. Oh really? Yeah, so it's Whoa. it's a fed with a context mount. Oh uh, my gosh. But that's that it's not, But it's not really a fed. So that's the thing. I mean, there was there was so many theories, uh like uh, nobody knows where it was made and who made it, really. Uh because if you look at it 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 looks like a Leica but it's not really. <laughs> it looks like a Fed but not really because it it like all the the parts look different. Uh the viewfinder looks different uh and it has the context mount like a Kiev mount on it. And it comes with a Zeiss uh lens on it as well. But it, on top there's like a star and says TSVVS or VTSVS nobody knows exactly wow. but it looks like it's a topographical uh service of the Uni- the ussr basically uh, it's a military topographical service so one theory was it was made by fed it's not uh, because i mean I've i've held a few of these in my hands and I can tell you right now, it does not feel like a fat. I mean, when you when you wind the fat, it goes like, a- yeah, right, you, know,
1: right. you
2: get this crunchy thing. This thing is buttery smooth. I mean, like only a German uh-huh. camera can can function like this. And uh, so then there was a theory that first published by um, DVD Technic site, saying that these were made in Moscow, a secret military factory called Almaz. Um, I don't. I really highly doubt it. I mean, I don't. I there's no way a factory that never made cameras made a camera this high quality. That
1: good,
2: yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. This is a this is. Somebody knew what they were doing. Yeah, this camera is like is, is basically like a next level from feds. I mean, it it behaves like somebody was making cameras for d- decades and ex- wow. and had experience to build one uh, to function that smoothly and uh, everything like everything feels like a German camera. So, the second more probable version, and that I've seen some book mentions uh, from um, a history of of the military topographical service of USSR, a book from 2011, I believe, mentions that there was a special order in Hildebrand, Germany, a workshop that to make to um, manufacture some cameras. It doesn't say which one it was, but that's probably the most most probable yeah uh, theory but still I mean there's no proof there's no actual documentation I've never seen a manual for this camera I've seen a box but it was just a black leather box you know there's not no markings um, wow. so there's no other official documentations anywhere in the magazine any publications about this camera uh, at some point I mean I was actually thinking that this was something that was made in 1990s Wow uh, so really? and, and actually and to this point, it's one of my running theories because the the, the people that were making these, I, I don't want to say fakes. These are like custom cameras or like fantasy yeah. cameras back in the 90s. They really were so good. And I, I wouldn't discount the possibility that they made around 1,200 or 1,300 of these cameras for export to to the West. I mean, it was all exported from Ukraine to Poland. To Warsaw, there was a big photographic market back in the 90s that we were selling all the stuff that was exported. Uh, it was basically taken out from USSR, former USSR for museums and everything. All the stuff went okay. there first. Yeah. Uh, so this is a very mysterious camera. Still no solid origin story on it. So it's still a big... Hot topic for debate wow. and I gotta look
1: that up. It sounds I'm just trying to imagine what it looks like. It sounds really interesting. <laughs> so d- how often do they show up or do they not really
2: show up much at all? Uh, there's a they show up they show up yeah. and they used to they and they go up in price pretty steeply lately too. I mean you mm-hmm. can probably back in two thousand and five you can probably score one for around thousand bucks uh <sighs> now wow. they're I've seen them listed for around three. Two and a half, wow. three, yeah. Wow. I mean, I I kind of stay away from that camera, to be honest. I wasn't like a big one on my list to buy because I just don't feel like it's a Soviet camera.
1: Okay, <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: I'm just I'm just on. I, I decided to just uh, check it out, and it's on uh one ca- well, on Fandom at the moment, Camerapedia, and there's a, the picture of it there, and it's it's a really good looking camera and it um, is, yeah but it's 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 interesting as to say because you you can see how it's it's got the contacts rf mount and i was just looking to see if it also got the 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 wheel um the focusing wheel like a a contacts camera would but it it, it doesn't am i right in thinking it doesn't have one is it is it just uh, focus conventionally it does not
2: that's right you know, you focus it like you focus a third. yeah oh um, wow i'm
0: looking
3: at
1: yeah i'm looking at it now that is that is really
2: cool. And there's like a marble. There's also a marble covering for it, like a gold marble yeah, covering too, yeah. for like some early models. I don't know if you. This is the one you you found. Wow, uh, those are
1: it's beautiful, huh?
2: No, it's absolutely a beautiful camera, but it does not feel like a Soviet camera to me. Like, and after after I've held so many Soviet cameras in my hand, yeah. yeah. and 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 tried to operate them, this this only feels like a like a Leica would feel, you know, like a well CLA'd Leica. It's, got, it's interesting, there's there's like a, a front plate on it uh,
0: that's that's holding the, the, the contacts mount, and it, right. it, it, it does, when you say like, it, yeah, you know, it, it could well be a, a, a custom camera that's, the, you know, a, a very high quality custom camera, it does seem to have that look about it, because it doesn't look like a, a major factory would produce it, but in the same way, it doesn't look like it's in any way shoddy either. So it's like a it, it looks like an artisan
2: product. It, but it in large quantities. I mean, it it is it is made over a thousand pieces made, and they're really consistent in production as well. Mm. And they're all very high quality made cameras. So yeah, it's a mystery. Mm. <laughs> maybe maybe to be solved one day once once some kind of documentation of them show up.
1: That's that's. Really cool, yeah, yeah. Because things do
2: amazingly still show
1: up, right? And I mean, big, big things still show up, information-wise, yeah.
2: Information-wise, and the cameras, new cameras show up. That's the craziest part. <laughs> I mean, every year I see, I don't know, twenty new cameras I've never seen in my life.
1: Wow, really? That like much? Soviet
2: cameras, yeah, like prototypes and like and like actual photographs of things people have and people buy. I mean, there's a. Uh, there's the I would have to say the largest collection of Soviet cameras and prototypes and lenses and prototypes are also here in Chicago. Um, it's um, and and that person probably will be listening to this podcast, but uh, I, I I'm sure um, I just want to shame him shame him a little bit because he needs to display it. Right now, it's all sitting in a closet. <laughs> uncool, man! Come on. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to build a display for it. I mean, this can't see the light. And he's been promising that for the last three years.
1: Even knows the guy that could like help him with that.
2: Yep, I told him <laughs> I'm gonna come and help you. <laughs> well, with the virus now, it's a little tough. But yeah, yeah. I but after, I have
1: no excuse.
2: Uh, yeah, we need we need this stuff to be. I mean, it's. Uh, I would have to say it's one of the most complete collections in the world. That is. <laughs> nearby here so well, well that's uh, that's
0: i was gonna say that's an, it's an interesting subject in itself um uh, collecting i mean you 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 started the uh the vintage camera collectors uh facebook group which is an enormous uh, group on, on on facebook
3: yeah muster um, now <laughs>
0: yeah and um and we, we we don't have to go too far into that because we, we we covered that um back in may 2018 right. uh, we talked about it then um but it was it was interesting because when i uh, um when we confirmed that we were going to do this show um i decided to tell the world uh, that we've got got you back on and i i posted things in in facebook and on instagram and on twitter and um and th- there was only only two um, negative uh, comments i say only i mean i, I wasn't really expecting any negative comments so i was a little bit uh, surprised um and it was to and this was on, on on twitter and it was uh it was it was interesting because um the the, the view was you know um it's quite sad to see all those cameras that are not going to get used um, so they're like as as part of a collection that's to be looked at rather than to be used and um, and i you know, my my thought immediate thoughts on that is like I, I know you as a person and I know the the efforts that you go through to want to well document what you do uh, to tell the world to be very very open and helpful about the about the cameras you you run your your uh ussrphoto.com site, which has got you know a wealth of information. You uh, you also supported uh, recently, up until recently, the uh, the, the Soviet um, photo site, which was at risk of uh, dis- disappearing. Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering what your what your
2: view is on 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 that that view of the collecting world. Well, my position is pretty clear. I mean, I like photography. I like you. I like shooting. Pictures in general, I'm not saying film or digital, but I used to use, I used to, when I first started collecting, I would get, I would start definitely with most common cameras and I would take a few of them and I probably shot 60 or 70 of them. I ran the films through them. Uh, But those are common cameras. Everybody, there's plenty of them for sale. Um, I mean, I keep in my collection just as, just to have one of each or more than one of each. So I mean, the cameras are easily available, a lot of made. When it comes to rare cameras, I mean, I consider myself as more of a historian and trying to preserve this. So this is more of a museum, uh, and I I study these and I study the history be- behind them and uh, I basically compare them to uh, compare variations of these, and I put it all out on the website that I have on on the in in numerous groups on the Instagram account that I have. I usually like to um, show the differences to the people and. I mean, th- some of these cameras are literally, there's only a few of them left. And it's better, I think, that they're, they're in somebody's collection than they're sitting in somebody's attic collecting rust. Uh, if you go out and shoot one, I mean, you're at the risk of basically wearing down one of the last known examples of this model and kind of losing it forever. This way they're preserved. Uh, they're well cared for <laughs> uh and uh, i mean they're well documented and uh the information is available uh for everyone to see and then and, and i know the people that know me personally and they're always welcome to visit my home museum if you're in chicago area so um it's more of a i mean you wouldn't it's the same thing when people collect classic cars and something that's really rare one or two made you would not drive it to work every day you know it would preserve it and you would display it and so on. I mean, I don't think this, this my philosophy is any different than that.
0: Yeah. No, I'm 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 with you on that. The uh, um, the other the other issue and, and this is pro- this is not really aimed aimed at aimed at you, especially with the way that you just explained what your collection is. And actually it's a case of you know your collection is very specific to the to Soviet cameras. Right. Um, which many people as you've said have got a very bad attitude to, towards them um although <coughs> let's let's face it there are some that aren't that good i hate the cosmic 35 with a passion i think it's one of the <laughs> worst cameras i've ever used and i would never wish to use one again um i hate it hate it um or i just had a bad one perhaps like that could well be the case but um how about the ac- accusation about collectors driving prices
2: up what, what, what's what's your view on that i I guess driving prices up for hope for other collectors or driving prices up for the users who want to shoot rare cameras. I guess the it's more towards the users, really. Well, I wouldn't see a reason why a user would spend ten times more. I mean, a difference in Soviet cameras difference between a rare camera and a regular camera, maybe like a two extra screws on the body. Like there's there's cameras that are or or like a little bit different logo than the normal production camera or a little bit different paint than the normal production camera i mean there are there's a crystal camera for example that i have a pre-series version of the only difference is it has hammer hammer tone paint all over the body versus the black paint on the on the body portion in the production camera i mean they behave exactly the same the regular camera and and the and the pre-series but the pre-series would cost you a few thousand dollars where you can get for 20 bucks, you can get a regular model. So for users, I don't see a reason to buy a rare camera unless they're also collectors. But if they're also collecting users and you use a real camera, I mean you you put this camera at risk, uh, in my opinion. Uh it's kind of like a double-edged sword uh type of situation. But uh I mean it's yes the collectors are driving prices up for other collectors uh, and, and 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 that's it's like this in any other vintage or antique market i believe i mean the same thing with paintings uh with art uh with uh, anything you can think of that people collect i mean there's more scarce it is, the higher it is the the higher the price somebody's willing to pay the higher the price will go up and um uh, I just don't see users kind of getting involved like pure users getting involved in, in in the collectors market. Yeah. I mean, I mean, th- I think they would be happy like shooting some like a normal production camera because they would not see any difference.
0: Yeah. That that that, that, that makes sense to me and, and it, it's it's interesting from the what you were saying earlier about some of these particularly rare cameras with uh, low low serial numbers and things like that. And I, I I struggle with it um, myself when I, I, when you, when you talk about some of the prices of the, these, these very <laughs> rare cameras get. Um, and, you know, I, I know what the, the, the answer is, you know, you, you already said it later. It's about, it's about scarce, scarcity, rarity and things like that. But how, how, how does a camera that's, that's so scarce reach a hundred thousand pounds? I just, I just, is it just because, like, is it is that the, the pure collectors market talking there about one collector must have something that somebody doesn't have,
2: or I mean, what, what 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 drives those those huge prices? I would assume you're talking about the Goy Leningrad that was sold in auction uh, a couple of weeks ago for a hundred thousand dollars, yeah. yeah. And if you include buy a premium, yeah. Well that's that camera is part of like a very small prototype batch made by a research entity rather than a factory. So this is a museum piece. Uh, and definitely the collectors were all over it. I mean, they lately the collector market for Soviet cameras exploded. I mean, some of the stuff I bought for really cheap. I mean, it's costs a lot of money right now. I mean, it's, it's, People started seeing Soviet cameras as, as having value lately just because, I mean, they're more familiar with them now. I mean, back in the 90s, 2000s, that the stuff just started just pouring out of USSR. People just didn't know what to think about it. They didn't know what the heck it was. There was no documentation. And then, then, then finally the, the Jean-Luc Princel's book came out uh, that gave some idea what it is. But his book only covers maybe 30% of all the Soviet cameras or, or less. Because there's new new cameras appear, and when you when you have stuff like Goy Leningrad come out to market, I mean the collectors that can afford this kind of stuff they're literally all over it. And there's a lot of collectors also now in Russia that um, started basically trying to repatriate the these rare cameras back to Russia to oh, wow. keep their collections. And they some of them have means to do that. So and there's a lot of collectors in Europe. They became very interested. I mean, they, they start seeing all those publications and, and the scarcity and the history behind them. There's, there's more information. The more information comes out, the more these cameras gain in value. And I'm kind of guilty of that, too, by running a forum <laughs> <laughs> for the last 15 years because, I mean, I've been accused a lot of times of driving prices up on a lot of these because all of a sudden you start discussing this particular camera on the forum. And you look at eBay prices; they suddenly like a few hundred, a few hundred dollars more than (laughs) they were yesterday, uh, because people are like, "Oh, I have this camera; let's just sell it." Because like all of a sudden, you know that these cameras were made by like only like in 200 made and made (laughs) specifically for like dignitaries and so on, you know, for special event. And so, once people see scarcity, it's just the nature of the market. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, we're, we've we've often been accused of driving prices up by talking about a lens. Um, I think uh, Ricoh 50mm f2s are skyrocketing uh, in prices at the moment <laughs> because I said something nice about them about a, a month ago. I mean, they've gone from around about, uh, uh, in the UK, about £15 and they must be around about £17 now. Um So okay. well, <laughs> they
2: really fly. But uh, yeah, thanks to you, I I, I sell like uh, Helios lenses for a crazy amount, and people just bid for them. <laughs> I mean, the, the the Helios Helios lenses alone uh maintain my camera budget right now. Wow! I mean, pump I, and dump, baby. Pump them and dump them. I I put them on eBay. Uh I mean, I I buy stuff in large quantities in Russia and Ukraine, so I have somebody just pick up these lenses as they see them. Yeah. I, when they get here, I put them on eBay. I sell maybe five or six of them a day. Wow! No at kidding. about at about sixty bucks a pop. Well, I put good description and try to put pictures of the diaphragm and everything. But but they they really sell like hotcakes. To be honest, yeah. I and mean, it's, it's for some reason, the United States is a very good market for them right now. Yeah. Um, People should deal with it. Yeah. Amazingly.
0: keep it on the, the the auction side of things. Um, hmm. And I, I can't remember if we talked about this when when you were last on or, or this was a conversation we had after uh, that podcast, but i I went to, to a I bought a lot of stuff at a, um, a Soviet camera auction uh, in the u k um, and uh, at that auction there was quite a bit of KGB stuff and, um, which was just absolutely fantastic. but there was there was one camera. Um, and it was it was a spy camera that was disguised as a um, a box of cigarettes okay and uh, and i've th- topped my head i think there was there was two bidders on it and it got up to like about thirty thousand pounds <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. uh, the wor- this is not the worst one. <laughs>
1: oh <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow are they you're talking about john player special right yeah that's
0: what yeah
2: yeah i have a few of them i maybe paid like 80 bucks for them (laughs) uh i'll tell you something more without naming any names they were overbidding each other just out of principle
1: oh wow That's beautiful. Oh, <laughs> oh,
2: so this this is why it, was, it sold for thirty grand, and it was thirty thousand. Oh, that's British harsh. It wasn't even <laughs> dollars. Oh my god. Oh so, yeah. So this
0: was awesome. Well, I was in, well. As I say, I was I was in the room when when that was happening, and, and uh, obviously the, the, these two bidders were not in the room. It, they were telephone bidders, I think. And right. uh, yeah, it was the place was just in silence. You know, people just like looking at looking at each other, completely dumbfounded with sort of with the with it. Just kept on going up and up and up and up. So, uh, oh wow, that's a, that's a whole different spin on it now.
1: <laughs> well, since we're now on the subject of the KGB and espionage, <laughs> and we talked about solar winds a little bit earlier, <laughs> maybe we should segue into that uh, area because I know Vlad, you have a few things you can tell us. Um, one of which well you've got a couple of really good stories that are homeland security slash FSB related I believe and oh, yeah a CGB awesome. auction coming up and a few things so, like that
2: yeah um one of them is an interesting incident just occurred just a couple of weeks ago in Russia um I promised the guy I'm not gonna name him yeah um, there were he, uh, a collector fellow collector ordered um, a couple of like uh, three aerial cameras like the commission stuff that you know that stuff that's usually on ebay and um, he ordered another ukrainian auction site similar to ebay and shipped from ukraine to russia so and they had three aerial cameras from maybe 60s 70s maybe 80s um i don't I'm not even sure if they're used anymore. They're just military cameras. I myself have maybe a—I don't know—I'm gonna look on my shelves, but three shelves worth of these cameras. Those are the stuff. they mounted on MIGs and helicopters and some submarines and so on. I mean, it's it's freely available on eBay if you search for it. So he's he's a package got arrested by customs uh, in Russia, and uh, as Spetsnaz... And uh fsB broke <laughs> basically uh, broke down the door into his apartment and uh, started the search oh, yeah. um, did a search didn't take anything but he got arrested and now he's facing uh three to seven years in prison for <sighs> importing military um, cameras <laughs> so i'm wow. I wish him luck I'm hoping his uh lawyer will um tried to bring it down to maybe a fine, but the fines are huge too, but maybe a one year time served, but this is a pretty crazy. I mean, the same thing happened in uh, Ukraine. If you guys remember uh, five years ago or or so when a fellow collector tried to ship a KGB F 21 camera to Czech Republic and he ships them all the time. He was just like one of the famous dealers and the collectors and he got arrested. Same thing happened. And uh, also, uh, a criminal um, prosecution, um, but in the end, there was a conflict between uh, in, between Ukraine and Russia, where he lived. That that whole uh, zone. Yeah. So this, the, they had better things to worry, like better things to worry about than to prosecute yeah. on cameras. But the, the 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 fact is that there was also criminal investigation. That was like all over TV news. And everything we tried to spin it. Uh, I think PetaPixel did a story on this as well. Yeah, uh, just try to shame the government to let him go. Well, thankfully, I think he's Caesar right now. But um, yeah, it's just this crazy stuff happens with like with his military cameras um, and spy cameras that be careful when you order it and you might put the person at risk in uh former Soviet republics. So tr- maybe try to get them somewhere in Europe at least where it, nobody cares about them.
1: Vlad, is, is that because they are sort of... Legacy laws on the books, or is it like I mean, a legitimate that there's still technology that is they just don't want out or both. I
2: mean, with yeah. the KGB camera, the F21, it's there's a leg. I mean, the the Criminal Codex of Ukraine was actually taken verbatim from a USSR Criminal Codex. Hmm. So, and um, this camera falls under surveillance equipment that that's basically prohibited by law but also as i was explained later by one of the people that are close to special services in ukraine and russia that uh, they still use this camera sometimes use, during investigations because film evidence consider it much more solid than a wow. digital so they some of the investigators still shoot film and present negatives as evidence wow. because uh Digital is so easily doctored right now.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: So it's pretty interesting. And uh, and and with the aerial cameras, to be honest, I think they still fly them. <laughs> those, <laughs> still planes, those planes are so old. I mean, those cameras, I don't think ever got replaced. I mean, those are cameras that just do like, they they just take pictures of uh, radar screens and stuff, you know, just like registering yeah. cameras. Sure. Sure. I like them. They look cool. They're like heavy duty and they're super heavy. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely a collector's market for them, but uh, yeah, it's a pity that uh, for collectors, that's kind of being prosecuted for that right now. Uh, Also speaking of the KGB uh, stuff, um, there was a museum in uh, New York. There was a KGB museum that opened uh, a couple years ago. I actually went there for opening and uh, that, KGB Spy Museum in uh, Chelsea in Manhattan mm. it was an amazing collection of stuff uh, there, there was not just cameras it was uh, recording equipment bugs and uh, he even had like current FSB stuff which I don't know how he he had, to, had to have some kind of agreement with somebody to have those displayed because I'm like how I'm like how he's like don't ask <laughs> 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 So. Uh, so that it's thousands of items i mean it's just like an absolutely amazing museum i spent 2 days there just going like every each little item and taking pictures it's just oh, yeah. uh, mind-boggling stuff so a lot of the stuff was actually in um in the in the new book the kgb cameras uh the, the secret history of kgb cameras book that's yeah. uh that was written by keith melton uh Det- detlev furies and uh, michael haska um it's available on Amazon right now, actually. You can still buy that book. It's uh, amazingly um, – it's very well illustrated and just absolutely amazing book. They oh. also have a Stasi book coming out also um, in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, very high-quality publications. I and mean, if you're into this kind of spy stuff, I highly recommend you getting these books. You can pre-order the Stasi one right now. Um, and uh, unfortunately, this museum in New York, uh, because of the pandemic, uh, he just couldn't uh, keep the doors open because mm. it's—you it, it, can imagine how much the rent is in Chelsea, Manhattan. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, for the so he unfortunately had to close down, and now he's gonna sell this everything, the entire museum stock, in uh, on February 14th, and the Julian's auction in Beverly yeah. Hills. So I just ordered the catalog, and it's going to be – the catalog itself is like a nice small book that's uh, hundreds of pages. So just just to have it, you know, like it's like a really good price guy too. So do you
1: think that that's an example? There will be bidders there trying to repatriate some of that stuff? (laughs) I
2: think so. Uh, I don't know how they're going to import it back in Russia, to be honest. Yeah, uh, but i'm i know quite a few people that are planning to attend and this is this is the stuff you get to see and experience and buy once in your lifetime i think because this mm-hmm. is definitely the most the largest kgb equipment collection in the world i mean they have he even has like hitler's headphones there no way there's like there's like an nkvd stuff i mean this is incredible incredible stuff i mean i, I at the museum i was walking around with my jaw on on, on the floor because <laughs> some of the stuff he had like trees tree cameras like and cameras built into trees and Jeez. it's just like ridiculous stuff i mean uh i i, I I, I even bought one from him, actually. It's a, <laughs> not the tree one, but they got the rollover camera, the Rubin. It's like a little camera. You just roll over like a sheet of paper, and it and it transfers it to, f- to film. Oh, way. Yeah, it's cool. That yeah. is wild. Like a, yeah, I have a little shelf going of KGB cameras myself, so some really cool stuff that I'm, I always love to play around with because yeah, they're I, very I, unusual. I
1: remember, I remember last time I was there, you had a little area in the by the by right by the entrance there.
2: Yeah, that's right. But I mean, it's I have twice as more stuff now. Now it's bigger. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, with this quarantine stuff. I'm telling you, it's like there's a word in Georgian uh, that is untranslatable. It's it's the word is shemomi chama. What it means is like I didn't want you, but I didn't want to, but I ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened.
1: That's great.
2: You know, all this stuff comes out, and uh, especially, I mean, I hate to say this. I mean, I'm kind of maybe I'm helping people, but people in ukraine and russia i mean it's really tough for them especially yeah. uh with the pandemic uh with the work and uh they started to sell a lot of the people i know like all my all my, my close friend collectors had to sell their collections so i'm so I, it this was the time when i can I, I work from home so i still have my job so i'm happy i'm really thankful for that so i i was able to buy quite a few things uh because normally i wouldn't probably be able to um so it so I honestly was binging on stuff <laughs> uh so I added a, quite a few interesting KGB cameras as well I mean I think uh you can see them on my Instagram I always post them post anything that that I buy some neat stuff let's wow. put it this way but uh but yeah that book is incredible I mean uh, the illustrations and how the stuff is used he when had like a specifically made illustrations for them just demonstrating the scenes in which these uh, crazy like uh, hidden hidden cameras like the that there was a camera I actually had one (laughs) that uh, the camera you drill a hole and you put it through the wall it was like about uh, a meter long lens and to spine somebody or drill it through the ceiling so they have illustrations how these cameras are used um, and to, to and I bought it in Peru on eBay. In Peru on eBay. Uh, And it was described as Soviet geological equipment. Wow. So, well, somebody talked me into selling this because it made me an offer I could not refuse. Yeah. But I I, I actually sold it. But in in the end, I bought somebody else's entire collection of really rare other civilian cameras. So I'm happy about that. Not regretting it. <laughs> but some of the stuff that goes for me is really incredible. I and mean, especially this kind of military paramilitary and the special division stuff. So, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I imagine there are things on your list that you will not divulge to anyone because you don't want anyone knowing that you're looking for it. Is that true? Yes or no?
2: Some things. <laughs> <laughs> There are very few, though. I mean, mostly I, my agents in Ukraine and Russia already know what I'm looking for, so they yeah, right, right, it.
1: right. <laughs> so you have all your 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 people are working for you, busily looking for things and sending you leads.
2: Pretty much. I mean, I mean, <laughs> most of the stuff I buy is all through somebody. I mean, okay. I, I have. Uh, I received about forty kilograms worth of cameras in the last two weeks. Whoa that's i don't know translated to pounds but it came in from russia and ukraine so it was measured in kilograms (laughs) that's 100 pounds wow i don't know close to 180 pounds something like that yeah Yeah. so yeah so i mean this is the stuff that i've been just been collecting there so friends of mine just kind of collected for me and then they ship it it was one big shipment it's the most economical way makes sense yeah most most definitely and uh Plus, like when I trade something from here, I send it, I send them the camera and they send it to somebody locally. It's also easy for them. Uh, then if I get it as one big batch, and that's why I keep the second parallel collection going of these duplicates. Yeah, you no. Know, well, one of the guys I was talking to has a very funny story that I bought a few cameras from them, and we've been talking, and all of a sudden he calls me up. I was looking for some Zorkis and he calls me up. He's like, guess what? He's like, what? I looked in my oven and I found 50 Zorkies. <laughs> I'm like, how? In what world do you just suddenly find 50 Zorkis? You know, he's like, oh, like Six years ago, he's like, I never cook. <laughs> he's a <laughs> simple guy. And he's basically uh had some people coming over and he didn't want to show them that he has a lot of cameras and he put them in the oven and forgot about them. Stash them in the oven? Yeah, pretty sense. much. And then five yeah. years later, he just basically decided to reheat something all of a sudden. And he's like, Oh, <laughs> look at all those Zorkies." <laughs> so this is crazy stuff. I mean, uh just keeps happening. Uh <laughs> <so> <laughs> the stories I hear, I mean, this this whole this whole uh, story, I don't know if I told you one, with, with the uh, with a book from uh, Brazil. So a good, a good friend of mine, uh, a forum member, uh, Luis Paracampo, um, when I start, first started my USSR photo website, asked me for my address. I'm like, why? He's like, it's a surprise. I just want to send you something. Uh, I'm like, okay, I forgot about it. I mean, six months, seven months came. I totally forgot. He just even like asked about it. All of a sudden, I get this package in my mail. Um uh, it was like a flat, kind of like a one of those bubble envelopes, you know, like a large ones. And the whole thing was just like there was you couldn't see what it is because the whole thing was like like covered in this blue homeland security, inspected by homeland security tape. Oh so you could tell this thing was open like maybe seven or eight times, if not more. <laughs> and there's like you couldn't see the package, you just, just you just homeland security tape, the whole entire package. <laughs> so I, I I emailed him like what gifts? What what did you see? like? I opened it there, there's a book on feds. Uh, this this is actually an amazing book by two Italian authors that have like very detailed fat classifications. So like I'm real, and he he published it in Brazil and sent me a copy. So but so we couldn't figure out why why would that uh, a book would would take six months to get to me, and then after months he emails me is like I remembered. He's like, what did you remember? At the time he sent the book, he was experimenting with um, the print. So he was doing merc- he was cooking mercury and cyanide. <laughs> so I guess the book was somewhere nearby, and all the vapors got on it. So I apparently, was tripping every single chemical sensor <laughs> <laughs> on the way to the United States and being delayed in every little uh, segway station. So along the same lines, I know
1: that you've mentioned to me that you have certain things that you keep in the garage because they are slightly radioactive.
2: Um, not garage, it's in my basement, but, okay. well, they are radioactive only when turned on, to be honest, because okay. i started looking into that, into that more detail, so, I mean, I'm not afraid of that, that much of them anymore, but, um, there are a couple of night vision scopes, like a first generation, but they look like movie cameras, and I buy them, they're actually really expensive, but I, for some reason, I keep finding them in antique malls here in the United States, and with the label, uh, broken Soviet movie camera. Uh, but it's actually a night vision device and the first generation emitted uh, x ray radiation when you turn it on. Oh, God. So, uh, I turned it on once <laughs> and then I read about it and I'm like, oh crap. Um, so, I decided not to put batteries into those anymore. Um, uh, but but yeah, but those if you ever see those, uh, be really careful with them. And and actually, I, I, I tr- I'm trying to. Message every single person in U.S. who tries to sell them on eBay. And I think uh, they, some of the people actually know also that try to sell them, saying, like, do not turn them on or put a disclaimer saying do not turn them on because they're highly radioactive. Um, it, It's called a night night vision device one and night vision device two. I think it's like N. Oh, God, I forgot the name of them. It. It's like NP1 and NP2 or something like that. And there's like an NP3. I mean, they're all they're all radioactive. <laughs> well the first generation night vision gear from ussr yeah. i've you just
0: you just reminded me of something there um i've got I've, uh I've, well i I've bought a few of them uh in my time i think it's the from the tcs3 uh night vision i think it's tcs3 <clears throat> but they've um they've they've got a 100 millimeter f2 uh lens on them and um and i've i've not really been able to find a, an an equivalent because i mean there's the equivalent of the uh the, with the cyclop uh with the
3: 85
0: okay. 1, 1. 1.5 Helios okay yeah yeah. Uh, yeah and but it, the 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 helios well, I, well yeah we seem to call it a helios 100 millimeter f2 but really it's not helios we don't really know what it is and I'm, I'm just wondering and it could be i don't know if it's a projection lens as well or whether it was just for uh for this camera i mean the oh i forget the actual uh the maker but the maker was one of the uh the optics people that did more for military than they did for uh, oh. for consumer and, did- and i'm just wondering if you if you know anything about that lens
2: you're talking about the cyclop that the people adapt to, um, to like to use on cameras. I'm pretty sure it's a Helios. I mean, not pretty sure, but I think uh, I've heard that it's a Helios 40, just stripped down. There's no aperture or anything. No, well, yeah, yes and no.
0: This this is a, a different one, because that's an 85 1.5, and there's also oh, an 85 oh, 1. Okay. 1.2,
2: but this 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 one is the uh, 100. I haven't seen those to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but make sure it's not first generation night vision optics too, night vision device, because all first all first generations are really active. It, it, right make,
0: it, make, it makes
2: it makes it makes a noise when you switch it on. I know that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I
0: don't know if it's a warning noise. <laughs> grow a
2: <our> tail yet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, 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 I didn't point it to my own direction at least, anyway. So, uh, yeah.
2: got to be careful sometimes with this some some stuff. I mean, some people were complaining that the uh, the L the LZ and LD lenses, uh, the um, the Star sixty ones. Yeah, they're. Oh, yeah. I mean, they do have lanthanum in them, and I actually uh, specifically borrowed a Geiger Geiger meter for those lenses, and I went through most of my collection with that Geiger meter and they register less than background radiation. So, I mean, it, that gas is so sealed inside. I mean, I don't think that... It's not like one of those, uh, was it the Kodak or Canon ones that actually are registering on Geigers. Mm. Uh, the Soviet ones, at least the civilian ones, they, even though they use radioactive elements, I mean, they're pretty safe. Mm. <laughs> I've, I've, I've checked that myself, so... Does <laughs> <laughs> the one have the yellow tint, you know, the lanthanum glass? Yeah, yeah right. So, I, mean, this I have a few of those here. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think we covered most of the topics. Oh, uh, another big announcement! So the Sovietcams.com—that's the probably the most famous Soviet camera website in the world, ran mm-hmm. by Aras has not is now under new a new ownership, and he was going to shut it down. Uh, so I made a mirror copy of it, and Mike actually oh, made good. a copy of it on our site, so we, we keep it going, but it was actually taken over by Ilya Stolier, and he, oh. he will uh, continue that site. He's planning to uh, redesign it to uh, to bring it to a more modern design, but keeping the same information, and he's going to keep adding stuff to it, So because I just stopped maintaining it uh, about, I don't know, I have to say, like, Four or five years ago, because I mean, his main concentration now was Lomo and Gomes cameras. So he, he's he's in, he has plans to do a site on that as well, uh, from what I heard. Uh, but for now, this, this site was kind of just sitting there as an archive. So hopefully, uh, this will be uh, that we're gonna we're gonna get more additions on this one. So that
1: that's good news because that I I can't tell you how many things I've looked up. On that site, I mean, it's so it's so. There's so much on there, it, and I, yeah, <laughs> the information he, doesn't exist anywhere else. It seems like
2: exactly he put his life into this site. I mean, I know that. I mean, this how, how many years of his life went into categorizing every little tidbit of all these variations. I mean, he did an amazing job. I mean, it's, to the to date, it's the most complete uh, catalog of uh, for Soviet cameras. I mean obviously there's tons and tons missing and i'm hoping Ilya will add those uh but uh, it's it's really good news i mean i mean all of, we are extremely happy that the site's going to keep going so yeah that's great last
0: time i was on there i was i think it was actually after a conversation
2: i was having with perry
0: um and uh, we got we got particularly excited um uh, about the
1: uh, Oh, Oh, Mercury! I know the Mercury One. Yeah. Okay. And and then I, of course, went right to Vlad and said, "Hey, Vlad, what's up with this Mercury One? Have you seen one of these?" And you, I remember what you told me. You filled me in on it.
2: Right. It was from the Cometa. Yeah. It was made for the Brussels 1958 Expo. See, here's the thing about these cameras, and like, and I came to a conclusion that a lot of these cameras, fancy cameras. And fancy lenses in USSR were just made as a proof of concept and to show off to the Western countries to show that they are better than them. Yeah. Uh, and and after that, you know, they will never go to production. I mean, most like a lot. Somebody just posted uh, a whole catalog of things that went to the Brussels exhibit, uh, and the catalog and like most of these cameras, like only thirty percent were manufactured of those. Wow. Uh, the rest were just status prototypes. Maybe five, ten, fifteen made. That's it. Wow. And and see what's
1: really interesting to me about that is the per, this particular lens that we're talking about. There was even a reference to it in like I don't know if it was popular photo, but there was a reference to it. Right. Because they really and they were listing interested. it among these great Soviet you know things you should know about. And of course they probably heard about it secondhand. And how do you verify that information in the mid '60s? Right. Exactly.
2: So, they don't hear about second hand. They 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 did an active advertising campaign. They start. They had these brochures like advertising. Unbelievable. They sent to everybody. Then then they had they giving them out uh, during the expo. I mean, they basically, they got their prizes for the most creative cameras, and they just never never made them. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's, it's the same thing with this uh, this uh, horizon, the new digital horizon with three sensors. They announced oh, yeah. it and where is it? Yeah. With uh yeah. Silvestri, I think, uh the Italian uh electronics in it. It was like a three lens uh, panoramic right. uh, with three sensors. Oh, it's, it's, my God.
1: Did the um spirit. did that did that uh Leica Zenit collab ever happen? Yeah, they made when they got that happen. Yeah,
2: you can buy them, but they made on like five hundred of them. Okay. And uh okay. I don't know if they're gonna make another badge, but I mean they're really just people, they're like hardcore either collectors or just yeah. get them and they have the special editions of them too now, like seventy years of or something. Uh from like some some kind of anniversary. I'm sorry, I forgot. But there's a special edition of it. Look like it does, you know. And yeah. uh but that's pretty much it. I mean that's I I won't be surprised if people forget about them like five years from now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But hopefully, I mean, it's a good start for KMZ. I mean, it's a, they make uh, superb optics. Yeah, I mean, they're they are Zeiss taught. I mean, they start out on Zeiss equipment. I mean, basically everything they start out was uh, repatriated from Dresden and Vienna wow. in 1946, and uh, they use this equipment all the way through like 60s and 70s. So whatever didn't break. And, uh, like, it was basically, they got so used to it. I mean, they already had, they think of it as a Russian Zeiss with a Soviet glass. Mm. Really, that's it. I mean, some of the, like, Helios 40, I mean, come on, look at that lens. It's just amazing. The the Zenitar 16, it's, I think, I still think it's one of the best fish eyes you can buy for the money. Yeah, yeah it, It's sure. sharper than... Uh, it's sharper than the Nikon fisheye. Yeah, right. Uh, when it's a little bit closed down, I mean, it, I mean, even Ken Rockall was like amazed. Uh, there's a review that he did, and he's like, "How can this be? <laughs> <laughs> it's sharper than the Nikon, like a lot sharper. There's like almost no purple fringing on it. Wow. Like it's. It, I used to use that lens on my Nikon D600 at a time, and just like, amazing. I mean, it's, it's you don't even have to focus it. I mean, it's just fisheye. It's oh, basically a cool. snap around. It's like a really nice full full frame fisheye. Yeah. I think wow. still, still think it's a bargain for any camera right now yeah. that you have. I mean, full frame, obviously. I mean, yeah. you want to get the same benefit on the APSC.
1: So, um, Vlad, we thought we'd maybe save one special story for the end, and we wanted to dedicate this to Mike Gutterman. Um, so, I. Uh, I hear this story is slightly inappropriate, which would probably
2: be perfect for Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Um, that's the story I told you before, right? Uh, uh, so this was, uh, this story was told to me, uh, by, a very well-known French collector who unfortunately passed away recently. Well, not recently. It was been 10, 10 years already, but time flies. Uh, Alan, Alan Berry. um, this came out as uh, there was a, a book that uh, lomographic society that called uh, Ll- Lubitil um, I think love, love from waste level if you guys remember that book okay um, so the author asked me to like put him in touch with a few Soviet collectors and uh, ask for a few funny stories to put in the book but this story never made it because it wasn't very appropriate <laughs> for a book um, so he uh alan was uh he was teaching photography in uh in in paris uh i think it was, it might have been 70s or 80s and it was winter semester and uh he gave out all his students L- lubitis cameras the the little one or two i don't remember anymore and gave him a roll of film and he's like go shoot specific subject and come back so everybody came back but with uh, some real film that developed it, but for some reason, most of the girls in class, all their film was blank. It was basically exposed. And uh, he's like, "What? What happened?" They're like, "We don't know." Uh, so he gave them another roll of film. He's like, "Go redo it to these girls," and um, they came back again with an empty roll of film. <laughs> and he couldn't understand <laughs> what's going on, so he went and decided to go out with them and see what's happening. So. Basically, the reason that the film was exposed is um, a lot of these girls wore fluffy sweaters. I guess it was like a thing in the 80s or 70s. And they were, i uh, us say, uh, gifted in the chest area. So what happened was their sweaters would catch on the latches <laughs> release on the door of the Dubutiles. And would keep opening the door every time because it's a waist level camera. It was keep opening the doors <laughs> with cameras and exposing the film every single time. So that's a little tidbit of info he shared with me. I thought it was pretty funny. Oh man! Perfect.
3: That's all I got, guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> perfect.
0: Um, right, well, there's a, there's there's a tip for our 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 female listeners uh, to be careful with uh, Lubitel cameras. Um, right. Oh, he went there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right. Um, Vlad, it's been
2: absolutely fantastic having you on the show again. Oh, it's been awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It's always fun to be on oh, yeah. it. Oh,
0: it I mean, it was May 2018. That's, um, that is no, so hard to believe. That
2: long. Yeah. That is so hard to believe. <laughs> and I have to admit, uh, I, I'm, at, um, I'm guilty in fr- before you because uh, with the pandemic, I don't drive anymore much. Yeah. So I don't have time to listen to the podcast anymore <laughs> because it's That's usually okay. the visual media I'm 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 looking at. You guys should do a like a video show. I would totally see, watch that on my. TV. Well,
1: Vlad, you know you can go on YouTube and you can watch the subtitles for the show.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not as much fun though. No,
1: he's
0: not
2: convinced, <laughs> is he?
0: <laughs> no, not it's quite. It'd really
2: be kind of cool with the show and tell, don't you think?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: transition to visual media, guys
0: yeah we've we we have we have toyed with the idea on a on a few occasions and then we argue amongst amongst each other about who's actually going to edit the video and, um, <laughs> and, then, and then that's a, that's the end of the conversation every single time i see yeah. that makes sense yeah
1: we need a minion
0: we need a video minion that's that's right we 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 do um but um i was going to say before we do um shout outs and um contact information and stuff like that I just wish to um say thank you to those people that have donated uh, to us via coffee um and uh, i'm not even actually it's been a while again We, we seem to be going long times between shows um and this is almost certainly going to be the last show this year as well so it'll be next year before we're back and when we do get back next year we'll do some emails as well because we've got quite a few emails again um so let me just thank uh, those people certainly everybody that's donated since uh, this month um, so we've got Lawrence Dunn thank you very much Lawrence um, and then James Cleveland uh, wrote to us here's a cuppa missing your personalities and on the pod waves yes um, thank you very much and yeah we'll I say that we'll try beyond more often, but it's be, it's been quite tough getting the three of us together lately. Um, then we have a, an anonymous person, um, so thank you very, very much. Uh, Nigel Cliff um, says, "Excellent show as ever." Having 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 done marsupials, uh, can you do? Oh, I can't even pronounce that. Very... Oh. He's led... Nigel's now killing himself laughing. Um, so it's V I V e -E next time. Any any ideas what I've just spelt out? No, I guess not. Okay. Um, Well, anyway, that. Um, So uh, then we had David Kaufman um, who says, thank you for providing a small respite from the stresses and worries of life as it is playing out these days. Also for the gas um uh brian walworth uh thank you very much uh then we have burned from cologne uh great show uh keep keep pronouncing keep practicing to pronounce right um, i hope i did that uh, well enough for you there burned um and uh jeremy north uh thanks for continuing Thanks for the continuing mirth and occasional lens talk. Yeah, we do do talk about lenses occasionally. Uh, so there you go. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, then there's Gumboot Dave um i've been listening I've, I've only been listening for a few months uh you guys are my favorite podcast uh something about the mix of great information and, and dysfunctionality <laughs> keeps me <laughs> yes oh, oh i think that actually goes on for more than two sentences there uh oh yeah it keeps me coming back so uh yeah thank you uh thank you very much gumboot dave and then uh christopher j may thank you very very much so um thank you for all all those people um right now then um Perry, are you still with us?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just listening in the background because, like, you know, Soviet cameras they and lenses, they mostly went to the West, right, UK and the US for the for economic reasons because that's where they were selling. So here in the Far East, we just don't have them on the market. Like, they're not rare, but for every Helios lens you find here where the starting price for Helios 44 here is at least 65, 70 US dollars, for every Helios lens here, you get like, you know, a million different German and Japanese ones instead. So it's a it's a big blind spot for me. So I'm just sitting back listening to this conversation because we don't, we don't have them here.
2: Check Japan.
3: You know, they, they exist, but like just nowhere near in the same kinds of numbers and quantity. And so the prices are just kind of ludicrous because the stuff that you can pick up in Russia for, you know, 10 bucks for 50 copies of something, um, they'll be way more expensive here. And then sometimes things are just, like, I saw a dude sell a Lomo LCA 120 a couple of weeks ago for around 50 bucks. because um, people just don't know what they are. It's just like, oh, Soviet cheap piece of crap, just get rid of it. I was like, I think that's worth more than $50, but then someone snapped it up.
2: Well, there's a lot, I know some people in Ukraine that uh sent Helios lenses by containers, thousands at a time to Japan, yeah. right? Exactly, to, to Asia. Yeah. And this right now, it's huge there. So, I'm sure a lot of them will surface right now in in, uh, in your area.
3: Hmm.
2: Well, that, that's cool. Uh, so, uh,
0: Perry, um, have you got any shout outs this week?
3: Uh, I do not have any shout outs. Uh,
0: Johnny, have you got any shout outs? Where's Johnny? Okay, Johnny's run away. I think. Oh, no, you're still muted, Johnny. You're muted. You're muted. We'll, we'll, Sorry,
1: I was, yeah. I, I was trying to find the cursor to unmute myself. <laughs> um, uh, I should I should always have this list, and I never have it in front of me. So, yeah, if I, if I, I should give you a shout out, you probably know. Uh, and all of you, and then also Robbie, who I got to, <laughs> who I got to actually chat with yesterday, and we we did a little work on a couple of his uh, cameras and tuned them up. So. Um, so, Vlad, have you got any shout-outs you want to say hello
0: to in particular?
2: Uh, really, to all my collector friends all over the world. <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and uh, the guys that are uh, in the Facebook group, there's a Soviet cameras made in the USSR group that right now seem to have concentrated our... Uh, a really good group of uh, collectors from uh, Italy, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, uh, United States, UK, I mean, pretty much you name a country, uh, they're there and uh, it's extremely informative, so if you're more into cameras and hardware, it's a really good group to be in and uh, I guess a uh, huge thanks to all the all the people contributing to all the websites with the information like Soviet Cams, USSR Camera um, and um <clears throat> i guess we're looking forward for more info on the soviet cameras this is like one of the scarcest most most scarce topic yeah. that is, that is being uh i guess filled with information at this point and it's extremely exciting
0: it's a fascinating topic as well i mean there's as as we've said a few times you know more information keeps on coming out and whenever you see some information it's like, it 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 can be mind blowing at times i mean you shared something uh, with the with the three of us earlier uh, before we started the podcast uh, some some information on on uh, on, on lenses and uh, schematics and things and it's just and it, you know it's mind blowing it's absolutely mind blowing the kind of the kind of stuff that, that that comes out so uh know, free it, to post it in your
2: uh, classic lenses group
1: oh perfect yeah, we mentioned. were we were going nuts looking at this earlier. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Congrats>. <laughs> so um,
0: you've you've mentioned a, f- a few websites and Facebook things and stuff like that, but which which are the best places um, specifically for, for people to find the where where, where you're at?
2: Uh, I'm always I'm one of the admins, on uh, the vintage camera collectors group. Uh, and the Soviet cameras group and the Soviet cameras made in USSR group. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm a moderator and vintage camera users. Um, and uh, my, my website, obviously, is ussrphoto.com. Uh, there's a forum uh, for longtime collectors. And uh, I have an Instagram, it's, it's just Photo. And uh, the same mirroring page on Facebook, also it's a USSR photo um, blog, I think it's called. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And always feel free to reach out to me via Facebook with any questions. I'm always glad to help a fellow collector. Yeah, and
0: I c- I can vouch for that there's things I've asked you before and you've 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 helped out, and I think the same goes for Perry and Johnny as well. So That's uh,
1: absolutely,
2: you know, yeah, it's fun for me to share the information. So
0: love <laughs> right. that stuff right well um uh perry um outside of the show where can people see the things that you do
3: uh you can find me on instagram and Flickr at perry g i haven't posted for months um that may that may continue soon
0: is is that because you haven't been buying any lenses
3: possibly i don't know if the two are are particularly correlated um I just haven't developed. I have a couple of rolls of film that I'm just backed up on, and it's been a while since I've developed film. And I, and once you lose that rhythm, I'm like, eh, I don't really feel like doing it today. I'll do something else instead. Yeah.
0: So I'm not around to it. Doing doing nothing is easy.
3: Yeah, exactly. Although no, I've been crazy busy. That's the main thing. Well, yeah, because like you know, we don't really have COVID
1: yeah. as much.
0: Yeah. Um, Johnny,
1: how about yourself? Um, yeah, you can also not find me on Instagram. Uh, at Second City Auto is I think the account I'm most frequently not using right now. <laughs> um, one of these days, one of these days, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do some more on there. One of these days.
0: Got other things going on right now. So if anybody wants to get in touch with the show, what's the best way of dealing with
1: that? Uh, send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. Um, on Instagram, you actually will find Classic Lens Photos at uh, Best Vintage Lens. Um, also, of course, go to the podcast website at ClassicLensesPodcast.com where you can buy t-shirts and other swag and all that good stuff. And you can watch the captions for the podcast if you want to do that over on uh, YouTube. And you can join Vlad watching the captions <laughs> over there. <laughs> <laughs> right and uh, I am
0: on Twitter as Simon 4 I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic uh, which is also uh, almost the name of my website which is simonforster dot co dot UK uh, with my ever increasing range of lens caps um, and things of that, that kind of nature um, yeah. and uh, well that's just about it Vlad, it's been absolutely fantastic having you again
2: uh, it's thank you for having me guys i um, Back to Reagan election. I mean, building collection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's been fantastic. And,
0: uh, and that's, and that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.